0: As I'm recording this I just finished watching No Time to Die which is the latest in a series of movies starring the fictional character James Bond created by Ian Fleming and I have to admit um, I wasn't really planning to do an episode of Catholic Latte after watching this film because quite frankly it's a Bond film but um, you know coming out of the film I, I, I gotta tell you I was just completely blown away uh, I was amazed how, how rich it was how emotionally deep it was uh, how profound it was quite frankly and so I thought given all that I, I better do a, a spoiler-filled review of this particular film. So at the beginning of the film, we see that James Bond, played by Daniel Craig, has recently retired from Her Majesty's Secret Service and is now living happily in retirement with his longtime girlfriend from the briefest movies, Madeline. But then their bliss together is violently interrupted when a bunch of assassins show up suddenly to try to kill James Bond, which he incorrectly attributes to Madeline. So we find out later on that his assessment is not true, but at the time, early on in the film, he believes that Madeline has essentially betrayed him, as a result of which he almost allows her to get killed before finally putting her on this train and allowing five years to elapse before they eventually see each other again later on in the film. So even before we get to the other details of the film, you can kind of see certain thematic elements sort of emerge, right? So, um, you know, what happens when you feel like you've been hurt? What happens when you feel like you've been betrayed? And eventually, you have to confront the possibility of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. Like, and how do you how do you get to that point? So that, that's kind of the the setting, if you will, that's kind of set early on in the stage uh, when it comes to this particular movie, No Time to Die. Anyways, it's kind of interesting to see how James is eventually pulled out of his shell of self protection and, and bitterness. And so five years later, what we see is that James Bond is living by himself. He's not even with another woman, actually. He's living by himself in a remote island, um, just fishing basically. Right. And so he's, he's content to, to again, live in a shell of, of self-protection and total isolation because he refuses to be hurt like he's been hurt many times before in the past, emotionally, and psychologically, however you want to frame it. And what's interesting is that the thing that helps him to move ever so slightly towards recovery is an invitation to come out of himself. And that invitation is posed to him by his friend in the CIA, this guy named Felix Leiter. And quite apart from what the mission is, you got to appreciate what this actually means from a theological and a psychological standpoint, right? Because what happens when you're kind of living by yourself and living in the mode of, again, isolation and self-protection is that you're kind of turned in on yourself, right? And so what's the road to recovery um, to actually move outwards, right? To, to begin to come out of yourself to help another, to, to love, basically, even though in the moment it feels like that's the last thing you actually want to do. Now, at first, James is reluctant to accept the mission, but fortunately for all of us watching the film, he accepts. And what's interesting is that Felix puts him then in contact with a junior agent, this lady named Paloma. And on the face of it initially it's kind of interesting Paloma seems to be your typical Bond girl in, in the sense of, of how she looks and, and how she dresses you know the whole nine yards but then what happens is that early on when, when Bond starts to get to know her um, he, he realizes that she's really inexperienced first of all she's only been uh, training I guess for, for three weeks but on top of that she's she's really nervous and she's kind of like socially awkward so um, even in, in the midst of their mission they have multiple drinks just to kind of calm her nerves right and so because of that though because of her her innocence her her, her humility, her willingness to expose her her own weaknesses—it it sort of um, captures Bond's attention, right—and and puts him at ease in a certain sense, right, and so throughout the course of the mission even though there's kind of this initial kind of sexual tension they never actually get together like so Bond never sleeps with this woman Um, and even when when they part ways um, Paloma very innocently says like well I hope we get to spend more time more in the future but you know not in a in a seductive sort of way but just again in a very innocent sort of way like I really enjoyed our time together Um, hopefully we can stay friends and spend more time because I I kind of enjoyed your company and and with that they, they sort of part ways. Anyways, the thing I want you to notice here is that this brief interaction with Paloma, even though it's brief, even though it's kind of played for laughs, even this this moment is really helpful for James in terms of helping him to move towards recovery ever so slightly, both from an emotional and psychological standpoint. Because if you think about it, like why is James like this? Why is he locked into this mode of self-protection and bitterness? However you want to frame it? It's because he's been hurt by women before in the past. So, we've already talked about Madeline, but even early on in the film, we see that he visits the grave of his first love, Vesper Lind. So, for those of you who've been following the Bond films, you know that Daniel Craig's first entry as James Bond was that really classic film, Casino Royale, in a context of which Vesper Lind ultimately betrays him at the very end, right? And again, Vesper Lind is his first love. And even though it's revealed that Vesper did this in a certain sense to keep Bond from being killed, um, at the same time, Bond is wounded by, by this betrayal of his trust, this betrayal by his love. And so as a result, in the aftermath of that, he becomes the James Bond that we know. Right? So cold, bitter, license to kill, all these different things. Right? So before he had a license to kill, but now he, he's just a cold-blooded killer. But again, more to the point, this interaction with Paloma is a really healthy thing because it's a positive interaction with a beautiful woman, which doesn't result in them using each other. They don't sleep together. They just have a positive interaction of working together. And so James Bond has a sense of like, hey, it is possible to be with a woman, to trust her and have her not screw me over, if you will. Anyway, shortly after that, we see how James's relationship with his best friend, Felix Slider, also helps him to take another step towards recovery. So basically, without going a whole lot of detail, um, Felix is, is shot, and he's like lying, basically dying in, in James's arms. And they're on a ship, which has just exploded and, and is now sinking. And before Felix dies, he says something to James, and I forget exactly what he says, but the gist of it is, um, don't waste this. Like, don't waste um, my sacrifice, don't waste your life. Let's, you know, get back on the horse and, and do this thing and, and continue to fight against evil and, you know, fight for good and the whole nine yards, right? And so, James, he kind of realizes that, yeah, I, I got I to gotta get back to, to living life. Right? I can't waste any more time. And he realizes in the midst of this, especially in the aftermath of Felix's death, like how precious life is, right? And with that, he starts to swim away from the ship, and what's interesting is the symbolism behind it, right? So um, baptism comes from this Greek word which means plunge, right? So uh, it recalls how in the early church people were plunged into the water to in turn denote a sense of, of death, right? So um, plunging it, it denotes uh, drowning, death the old sinful self, being reborn as a son of God or, or daughter of Christ, right? So that's the symbolism there, right? So here is James Bond uh, turning his back on his old life of, again, self-protection and bitterness and, and moving out to enter into a new life offered to him by Christ. But on top of that, because the ship has just exploded, there's also flames. And so not only is he swimming towards new life, he's also swimming away from the flames of damnation, if you will. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but basically the way he was going, again, living in a stance of self-isolation, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, he was going down the path of hell. But now again, he's moving towards the path towards new life in Christ. Anyways, this gives rise to this really beautiful scene where James Bond ultimately reconciles with Madeline. And so just before this particular scene, he learns from his arch nemesis actually, that Madeline did not betray him, as a result of which he shows up at her childhood home to make amends, to apologize, to reconcile with her. And what he ultimately says is both beautiful and tragic. And I have to admit, I don't remember the exact wording, but basically the gist of it is this. Um, I don't regret being with you. I don't regret loving you. My only regret is, is putting you on that train. And what's implied in that is like because of my stubbornness, because of my lack of forgiveness, because of my stupidity, because of my unwillingness to forgive you and be reconciled, I've wasted five years of my life. I've wasted five years that I could have had with you, loving you. So again, it's both beautiful and tragic. And what makes the situation all the more tragic is that after having concluded the speech, this little girl shows up on the scene and James realizes that it's actually his daughter, right? And so he's not only wasted these five years being away from Madeline, he's wasted many of those years being away from his only daughter. Anyways, fast forward to the end of the film. James Bond defeats the main villain. He defeats the main antagonist. But he realizes that he's basically dying because he's been affected by this virus which has no cure. And on top of that, he's running out of time. And so basically, the British Navy has launched these missiles, which are going to destroy the island on which the villain was residing. And again, James Bond has no time to escape. And so he knows for sure he's going to die. And so he calls Madeline. And so they're having this really, really dramatic conversation on the phone. They both say that they love each other and they're exchanging their goodbyes. And in the midst of that uh, conversation, Madeline says, "I I wish we had more time. In response to which i think james says something like well you'll you'll have time because you know you'll you'll live beyond this moment and you'll have time with with our daughter and and so on and so forth and so even though the movie ends with madeline telling her daughter telling their daughter the story of this legend james bond obviously the movie ends on this really sad and and tragic notes and so as you might imagine at least for the people sitting in in the theater where i was watching the movie we all were really choked up we were all you know teary-eyed no one had a dry eye And we all kind of had lumps in our throats because, you know, it was, first of all, it was a shock. I mean, James Bond can't die, right? But on top of that, you know, it kind of hit us like, wow, this is like, this is like the end in the sense of at least, you know, Daniel Craig's tenure as James Bond. And and for me, um, I, I couldn't help but reflect on the whole James Bond mythology, if you will. Because if you think about, like, who is the James Bond character? Like, what does he represent in the context of, like, people in the world? Well, certainly he's an assassin. He he works for the British Secret Service. And so on the face of it, it seems to be kind of unrelatable. But here's this guy who is a womanizer. He's an alcoholic, right? And he basically distracts himself from his internal pain by killing people, by sleeping with women, by by drinking, right? And so, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that that's infinitely relatable in terms of, you know, the, the common experience of people living in the world today. Because even though we may not have been hurt in the same way that James Bond has been hurt emotionally and psychologically in the context of previous films, we know what it means to feel hurt. We know what it means to be betrayed. We know what it means to trust someone and have that trust be betrayed and kind of thrown in our face in a certain sense. We know what it means to suffer emotional and psychological pain in our relationships with other people. And more to the point, we all know what it looks like, we all know what it feels like to live in that space where we're constantly trying to distract ourselves from our pain by keeping busy, by living our lives superficially, by by simply avoiding people. So I suppose given all that, you know, James Bond's story is sort of a cautionary tale for, for all of us in a certain sense. And on that note, I suppose what comes to mind from a theological standpoint is this really famous quote by John Paul II, right? So I'm just going to paraphrase it. But basically, he's talking about human suffering. And what he says is that even though it's possible to live our lives in such a way where we try to minimize suffering, if that's our modus operandi, if that's our our main goal in life, again, to minimize and, and perhaps avoid suffering in our lives, it always comes at a terrible price because it always comes at the expense of our humanity. And what's implied in the pope's statement is that if i want to have relationships and not just superficial relationships but rich deep intimate relationships i gotta learn how to trust i gotta put myself out there and risk being hurt but you see here's the thing when we do that when we live in that space when we have the courage to live out of the space of trust and risk we will eventually get hurt sometimes we might even be betrayed but they're in lines of really important moments, right? Do I choose to turn in on myself? Do I choose to isolate myself from people and, and live in this mode of bitterness and self-protection and lack of forgiveness? Or do I go the other way, to take a chance to try to love again, to forgive again, to seek reconciliation yet again? Mindful of the fact that if I try to avoid suffering at all costs, again, it always comes at the expense of my own humanity. Okay, one final note, and I'll kind of end with this. And so, before that final scene where Madeline begins to tell her daughter about the icon and legend of James Bond, there's another beautiful scene where the staff at MI6, the people who worked with James Bond at Her Majesty's Secret Service, they're gathering around, they're they're having drinks, and they're reminiscing about James Bond, and they're trying to think of some words to say to honor his memory. So, what ends up happening is that the main guy, the main boss at MI6, this guy named Mallory, he takes the lead and he basically just quotes this American novelist named Jack London. And the quote is short, but it's poignant. So I just want to end by, by sharing with you this really beautiful quote, again, by Jack London, which basically goes like this. The proper function of man is to live, not simply to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And may God bless you all.